Welcome to the Mark Stanley Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Starry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Starry, that's S-T-A-R-Y music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, and most other places you get your music online. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. If you've got an extra buck or two, you might toss me the podcast tip jar. Please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Starry Music Podcast. Also, considering helping get the word out on the street via social media, five-star rating interview on iTunes, and or tell a friend or two. Happy thought of the day is by Paul Butterfield. I think I'm better than all the people who are trying to reform me. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 259. Please support this week's sponsors, 45th Parallel Distilleries, ID Chrysler, Pine City, and the BDL Club. Also, thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Just got word that Copper the Wonder Gold and I will be back working at Ramsey County Juvenile Detention Center starting next Saturday. It's been a long six months, but glad to be doing some good with my dog in person again for Canine Inspired Change. They played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Show number two with a brand new Takamini guitar went great. Thursday, Brian K. Johnson and myself played a live radio show with Trigger Happy. It was a blast. I'm going to try to put that episode on this podcast. Friday, played a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota. Great to see Len and Linda finally after COVID hiatus. Thanks for all the support during live at 6.05. Saturday, Brian Johnson, Sarge, and myself played a private Amory Golf Club show, and it was a blast. Even had the chance to Dust off my DJ chops. Sunday played a duo show at Mixed Up in Amory, Wisconsin. Cold and wet outside. Was a nice time celebrating customer appreciation party, though, for the last outdoor show of the summer. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, September 30th, 2020. I'll be playing a solo show. At Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Friday, October 2nd, I'll be playing a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota from 5 to 7.30 p.m. Saturday, October 3rd, Mr. Brian K. Johns myself will be rambling up to Breezy Point, Minnesota to rock out a JJ's Pub slash Commander Bar from 5 to 9 p.m. It's part one of three with Harmonica Extraordinaire, author and star of the Netflix documentary Satan and Adam, Adam Gusso. We talk live music during pandemics, performing on the streets of Harlem with Mr. Satan, and more. Enjoy the conversation. People, people, people. Every day I got a smile on my face. I'm so glad to see you. Come on. Mr. Adam Gusso. Harmonic extraordinaire, author and star of the popular Netflix documentary, Satan and Adam. Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is a, it's a real honor to be, to be doing this with you, Mark. Yes, absolutely. Um, Adam, do you listen to a lot of podcasts? 
you know, I've started in the, in the course of this summer, I started to, to sort of cross onto the dark side, the intellectual dark web, as they call it. And so Brett Weinstein, um, Coleman Hughes, these are names that some people would know and some people would not. Um, John, John Wood III, um, in specific, Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter, these are, most of them are black voices uh, that are not coming from the same place as Black Lives Matter, interestingly enough. So they're, they're an interesting kind of counterstatement to the, the sort of um, full-on progressive voices. They're not, I wouldn't call them conservative, all of them, but they're sort of closer to the center, maybe. Okay. And so we don't have to get into politics. But that, <laughs> I, so I, I don't listen to a lot of music podcasts, but I've been very actively searching out um, videos and, and podcasts sort of a, a, around the issues that have come come to the fore. It's been, of course, a, a long and strange spring and summer. Obviously. Yes, it sure has. Jeez. Um, have, with the COVID yeah. stuff, you've been playing much? No, not at all. I mean, we, we had, and you know, Mark, you're a full-timer. I always defer. I, I'm, a, I'm a part-timer. Um, and so I have a full-time job as a college professor, but it's nine months a year. We have vacations. And so, you know, my, my buddy, uh, my blues doctor buddy, Alan Gross, who I've been playing with as the blues doctor since uh, 2012. You know, we've, in, in the past, we've gone out over, during the summer, we will release an album, we'll go during Christmas vacation, we might go and do something. None of that. We we basically, he, he's older than me, and I'm 62. So, you know, when you're older and you see how COVID is affecting older people and his wife is older than him, you know, um, we just, we don't want to risk it until, until we can get out there with some kind of assurance that we're not going to be, think about what harmonica players do. You know, you if you do gigs on the road, you're going to be shaking hands. Then you're going to be taking your hands and putting <laughs> them right to your mouth, right? I mean, if there's ever a, a, a sort of mess, it's like, the, yeah, it's the worst possible thing. Guitar players have it better, but harp players, no. So uh, there's no way that we can do that. Um, unfortunately, we just can't. So we're, we're not. We're not. Okay. Um, yeah, up here in Minnesota, I've been back at it five nights a week, but yeah, it is uh, kind of a risk, but mostly playing outside and, uh, mm-hmm. just a way to make a living. You know, that's what I do is play music for a living and, and you got to work, you know? So let me ask, I, I, I haven't had a chance to actually talk to somebody who's sort of back out and working. I know it's been really hard on live music in general, but you're saying if you go, if you play outdoors, sounds like you haven't gotten the disease, um, so it's it's it, it's workable as long as the outdoors thing is there. It seems like when it's indoors and people are screaming, unless they're all masked. I mean, it just seems like dangerous once it's indoors. But it sounds like outdoors might work. Yes, I play indoors too as well. Um, but mm-hmm. generally in the Twin Cities, they're really fussy about the social distancing. They take everybody's temperature when they come in and people have to be masked unless they're sitting at their seat. So if they get up to use the restroom or something, then they have to be, then they can be unmasked when they're sitting down in their group. So it's pretty interesting and everything's all spread out. I feel relatively safe doing it. Yeah. And, and it's been going pretty good. And, and like, as far as like band shows, that's really, doesn't really exist really much anyway. So most of what I do is more breakdown shows, me solo 
or duo, and I kind of do what kind of down your guys' alley. I start with a little rhythm guitar, I loop yeah. it, and then I hit the, the play drums in the side of the guitar, loop that, okay. add a little bass, loop that, then sing and play harmonica and leads and stuff. And so, just out of necessity, a one man band kind of thing is just, that's how I've been able to pull it off. But folks that play to big touring bands, that's very tough on them for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking with my new bandmate, Rod Patterson, who happens to be, we'll be talking about Sterling, Mr. Satan McGee, I'm sure, at some point. And Rod and I have made an album uh, with Alan Gross, calling ourselves Sir Rod and the Blues Doctors. And Rod was at the funeral that I was at, which we can also talk about. Um, and he said that he thought live music would come back when they had f- five-minute tests, when you could test everybody coming in. So that, and and it basically the 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 ground rule would be that in order to get into the concert hall, you would have to take this test and and not and not have COVID. And then everybody could come in and be safe and be unmasked. And when he described it that way, I thought that's interesting. That does give me hope that live music can make a comeback. You know in a serious and sustained way. Just thought I'd give another reminder to join 45th Parallel for a whiskey-pairing dinner put on by the wonderful folks over at Maryland Houston Steak Joint in Beloit, Wisconsin on Thursday, October 8th from 6 to 9 p.m. Each incredible course will be paired with one of the 45th Parallel Distillery's whiskeys. Check out their Facebook page for additional info and sign up. 45th Parallel is a family-owned craft distillery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. They opened their doors in 2007 and went from making a single vodka to producing dozens of different spirits, including gins, whiskeys, and citrus liqueurs. 45th Parallel Distillers are committed to a slow craft philosophy, slow fermentation, slow infusion, slow distillation, slow blending, slow aging. Their mission is to create high-quality spirits using local ingredients whenever possible and to provide visitors with a great experience. Stop in and check them out at 1570 Madison Avenue, New Richmond, Wisconsin. Check out 45thParallelDistillery.com for hours and more information. So we're looking for a quality alcoholic beverage to enjoy while listening to your favorite local musicians. Try a 45th Parallel Distillery product. You won't be disappointed. Please drink responsibly. I hope so, and the the response from it has been something like I've almost never seen because people have missed it so much. That made me it really was reassuring that people like welcome it back and are anxious to to risk it and sit outside, even so, socially distanced outside, and take in the music and tip and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been really re self assuring that music will hopefully survive this this crazy year. You know, one thing that I realize when you think about it, you know, and I, in my other life, I'm a college professor. I teach English and Southern Studies at the University of Mississippi and a kind of a cultural historian, I guess. And so I, I've often thought about the Roaring Twenties. And one of the things that clearly is, and, and the race records revolution, you know, in 1920, we just had the 100th anniversary of Mamie Smith's Crazy Blues. First um, black female singer, sort of blues singer with an all black band. I can't sleep at night. Can't It's an important milestone that we just passed. 
And of course, the Roaring Twenties were not just the jazz age, but they really were the blues age, right? I mean, that's something that's interesting. So what's the predicate for that? What, like, what, what led to that? Well, one thing people talk about is the great sort of disillusionment that the younger generation felt after World War I, which they didn't call World War I, obviously, it was called the Great War, the war to end all wars. It wasn't until World War II you called, you retrospectively called the Great War World War I. It was just like, this was it. This was the big one. And the disillusionment, there was a lot of disillusionment that, that, that the old men had sort of sent people to their death. So a whole generation of young men. And they, coming out of that, you have people saying, basically, I'm not the Puritan that my mom, I'm not the Victorian woman that my mom was. You have flappers, right? And you have, there's the whole change of, of manners, basically. But there was something else that went on, which was the pandemic. And it never occurred to me until we had our pandemic that that too, all the death, they had a lot, I mean, Lonnie Johnson, the great blues guitar player Lonnie Johnson, lost most of his family in the pandemic. Well, another night you cry. Baby, just crying over you. Well, I've got another night to cry. Another night to cry over you. He lost, like, not everybody, but three-quarters of his family. He was, I think he was in Europe. He came home. He was out of New Orleans, but he lost, he lost everybody, basically. Then he got married. I, I write about this in, in, in one of my books. Got married to a, a blues singer, Mary Johnson. He had six, she gave him six kids in six years. Gee. And then they had a split up. So you want to know about a guy who has the blues. And I thought, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. It's like in the aftermath of a pandemic, it kind of makes sense that you might go kind of crazy with the woman you love and make a whole family, recreate your family. Imagine if, if that relationship goes bad, that you'd feel bitter. You ever go and listen to Lonnie Johnson's blues? The man really had feeling in his voice about the woman who'd mistreated him. And I think that that helped me understand him a little better. But that was coming after the pandemic. So here's what I think. This is which is that when we get out of this thing, we're going to have our own version of the Roaring Twenties. People are going to want to be in each other's presence with music, with drink, with. And I, so that's my hope. Um, is that we're going to get there as long as we don't kill ourselves first in a civil war. <laughs> um, That's I've made a similar observation um, in here in Minneapolis or whatever. There's a place called Volstead and it's named after the Volstead Act. It's literally Volstead a speakeasy, speakeasy Prohibition. Yeah. behind this uh, this venue. And you go in there, there's no TVs, there's no just whiskey bottles and and this old wood and and it's it's just speakeasy i play outside they got this little patio thing but it reminds me exactly of that same thing like the roaring 20s like people kind of sneaking out and risking their life and limb to come spend some time with each other have a cocktail taking some music it's really interesting it seems like that, it's re revolving from the roaring 20s that's so interesting of course yeah and you're reminding me that the other thing so there was the aftermath of world war what made the roaring 20s the aftermath of world war one the pandemic after you know after the pandemic everybody wants to take off their shoes kick off their shoes jazz and blues music suddenly was being recorded in a powerful way people were looking to places like harlem for nightlife but you're right and it, it, prohibition 1919 i think so which meant that people were breaking the law and so you had everybody they were like eff it you know, uh, um, they blew, almost blew up the world anyway, the old people. Now they're passing laws saying we can't have a good time. We're going to have a good time. But, of course, we won't have that because the alcohol is not, I mean, we're not having a new prohibition, I don't think. No, you know? it's just, yeah, but so, it's a similar attitude yeah, I, I get with happen. people coming out. Um, anyway, so for the listeners here, 
this is a huge treat for me. Um, I've been playing harmonica most of my adult life, but I started taking it seriously maybe 10 years ago or something like that. And I found you were one of my primary teachers, Adam, on, on wow. YouTube. And I started with your lesson one when you're sitting in your car just talking about the attitude of it. And like, and it really demystified a lot of the harmonica would hear. And I just, I, it's such an honor to have you um, on the sure. show. And you introduced me to some other musicians, blues musicians that I'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, but this morning I did watch you delivering a gravesite eulogy for your partner yeah. Sterling McGee, aka Mr. Satan. Uh, who yeah. unfortunately passed away uh, on September 6th this year. And thank you so much for being on the show right after that. And do you mind ex uh, talking about that experience, what that was like? Sure. So, um, well, I, you mean when you say the experience, you mean, the, I mean, I can kind of go back to the beginning and talk a little bit, sort of frame for people who don't know what that relationship was. Maybe I can do both. So um, Sterling McGee was somebody that I met when I was 28, and he was 50, and I, and I met him um, in Harlem, uh, and I ended up playing with him on the street. He was a street, at that point, he was a street musician, and he was an unusually, an unusual street musician because he was somebody with a, a, a sort of storied career back behind, uh, you know, the man that I saw who had a shopping cart and a, a, a thing on it that said, the, the one-man blues band by Satan, you know. Just checked out manager Monier's new commercial for ID Chrysler Zumbrota. Yes, he's managing another one, and I gotta go check it out sometime. But life is still good yet in my black Jeep Cherokee I got from ID Chrysler, Pine City, Minnesota. Went 250,000 miles in my old car, just too much for the poor thing to take. I found myself looking for my new dream ride at ID Chrysler, Pine City, and the staff committed more help with me choosing a vehicle and willing to work with my, as I call it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory, idcdjr.com, or take the beautiful drive up 35 to 715 Northbridge Court, Northwest, Pine City, Minnesota, to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Thursday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Friday and Saturday, 8 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler Pine City today. Enjoy safe fall season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride. Um, and can I dive yeah, in real quick there? You sure I, may. I, yeah. So I, I'm yeah. about that stuff. Was he yeah. poor, like living off the street too, or was he just down there playing? And like, what was his lifestyle like? Because I kind of well, curious lifestyle about that. was he wasn't down and out. He had a, he had a a little um, apartment, uh, kind of a ground floor flat, um, in in and it was an apartment. I realized in a building that w the super of the building was the father, I think, of his former wife, the woman who had died and whose death had sort of sent him spinning out of control, changing his name from Sterling McGee to Satan. And by the way, when I first met him, I think he, everybody called him Satan. Shortly after that, he began to call me Mr. Adam, and then I'd call him Mr. Satan. And I think then everybody, suddenly it switched from Satan to Mr. Satan. But right early on, people said like, hey, Satan, how you doing? So Mr. Satan, I knew him as Mr. Satan. He he, you know, I never pried into that. I don't know whether he had, for example, um, he wouldn't have had Social Security at the age of 50. Um, I do know that he 
so I don't know. I, I never pried into that, but I would say he was. So he wasn't down and out, but and he wasn't working at any job other than making music. Um, he did well enough. I, I, clearly, he was saving some money. He was making bills, you know, uh, out there on the street. Um, and he was out there almost every day. Um, the, and as I talked about in the, in, the, uh, in, in the sort of eulogy that I gave, when I first met him, he was, so he was an, he was an incredible guitar player, an incredible, a really wonderful singer, um, not really much of a percussionist. His one-man band thing was pretty basic at that point. And in the course of playing with him, so by, that was October of 86. By the time that U2 came along, and this was sort of the first moment when we came on the screen. We were not, by the way, called Satan and Adam. For, we didn't, that didn't happen until we had a, our first demo cassette. Remember demo cassettes? <laughs> you know, um, which happened in the spring of, of 1990. So we had no corporate name. One way to think about this is, and I, I've used, you know, I use academic language occasionally, and so I, we were completely uncommodified. We didn't have merch. We had nothing to sell. We had no recordings, except people would come by occasionally and, you know, tape us. Um, and friends would occasionally give me a cassette, like, here, here, you, here you are. Um, but they weren't high-quality recordings. So we were Mr. Satan and the white boy across the street from the state office building in Harlem, which was the tallest building in Harlem, in from 1986 to through about mm, early 1991. And at a certain point, we, we got picked up by major management. Uh, I can talk about that a little bit. But, but for that three and a half years... That was our spot. It was a spot on 125th Street. If I looked to my left, he would be on my left. And if I looked past him and sort of across the street, down the block was the Apollo Theater, uh, sort of on the north side of the street, a block away. Um, we were just east of 7th Avenue. So we were between 7th and Lenox, between Adam Clayton Powell, Jr. Boulevard, and whatever Lenox was, Frederick, uh, not Frederick Douglass, but you know, Malcolm X Boulevard, I think. Um, and that, that's where I played. Um, in the documentary Satan and Adam, they dramatized the one moment in, in that three-and-a-half-year period where I was threatened, where there was an implicit, a clear and implicit threat. Um, and two guys came up, uh, and one of the guys, I mean, I, I can tell that story, but the point is it was two weeks after Do the Right Thing was released in New York. It was the summer of 89. manifest danger. Other than that, I had this singular experience of, of course, feeling very kind of white and exposed early on, and then being given the chance to kind of sink into the music, to go deep into the music with him. So that at a certain point, let me, I just had a oh, no had an, email, an email in my ear. So let me just get, get rid of everything. So I had, I had the singular experience of playing blues on the street for a, a, for a black audience. Occasionally you'd get, by the way, tour buses that would go to the studio museum. 
with a, and would disgorge a, a, a bunch of white folks who were going to the studio museum, which was next to where we were playing. Other than that, you didn't see white people in Harlem. Now it's, I think Harlem is like 60% black and 40% other. It's been gentrified. It's changed. It's remarkable. It's weird because back then it was, wasn't, it wasn't violent. It wasn't like gangbanger kind of stuff uh, at all. Not, not on 125th, which is a big commercial street, but it was an absolute cross section of the black community. You'd see everything. You'd see the school kids, you'd see the ministers, you'd see the old ladies, you'd see, um, people styling and profiling you'd see guys drive by in cars but it was a it was safe in that respect um although as i found out i became friends later with a guy named peter noel who was a caribbean born journalist who i used to read in the village voice peter noel covered the race beat for the village voice he was a progressive very progressive journalist covered al sharpton and all sharpton's marches he doesn't even have a name in the bible he never was given much profile. There's no biographical sketch. But I meet him on the day of the crucifixion. He's hanging on the right hand of Jesus. Um, and Peter, no, and so later, once he became a part of the Satan and Adam documentary, got a chance to hang out with him. We, well, we actually became friends before that because I had written a book that was about the blues and violence. And he was very interested in the idea of what I call disciplinary violence, white on black violence. And how did black folk respond to that? And he, his reporting, it, 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 there was the basis for a really interesting conversation that we evolved over the years. And, and he said at, at, at the, um, when we were at the Tribeca Film Festival, when Satan and Adam premiered for the first time, and I got a chance to hang out with him, he said, well, Adam, you know, I worked around the corner at the, at, the, at the Amsterdam News. He goes, I was like a stringer for the Amsterdam News. He goes, and I knew all those guys. He goes, you know, the, the Nation of Islam, and, the, and, and he mentioned another group that was sort of more radical than, than them. And he said, and they knew you were out there. They, they didn't like it. I want to tell you about one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area. The B-Dale Club, located in the corner of County Road B, and Dale's motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun, and that is the truth. The food at T-Bird's Cafe and Takeaway is always spectacular. I got this Thursday night off, and I really think it's high time I block off an hour or two to bummer out some buds. The B-Dale Club. I think a screw-up and a Bubba Burger is calling my name. Rob, Natalie, Shelley, and entire bar staff are all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. I've been told that they're being talked about in these podcast ads. The Waller's Woodhill Cocktails are selling like hotcakes. Karaoke, live music, pool table, pool tabs, bingo nights, bocce ball tournaments, and much, much more. B-Dale's got it all. Stop by for a gold one soon. Now, they didn't like it because I couldn't play harmonica. They didn't like it because I, I wasn't sounding good. They, liked, they didn't like it because Sterling and I were having too much fun, and people were enjoying this white and black blues act and i was making all this noise with him we were making a big sound and it was a white and black black and white it was it was brotherhood <laughs> and he said you know he goes i'll be honest he goes i'm surprised they didn't take you out and i thought about that and i thought crap you know was i in more danger all that time than i knew because i never felt in danger i, I as i said except for that one time and, that, and then I most definitely did. But otherwise, the people of Harlem were uniformly, the people who, who stopped to talk were uniformly welcoming, friendly. They were curious. 
in some cases, I, the, having a white guy there, I was 28 when I started playing. So I was between the ages of 28 and 32, maybe 30, 32. Um, they would use me to, they'd say many things. One of them, you know, talk about country music. Like, because I'm a white guy, I would know about country music. Mark, <laughs> you know, and I didn't know anything about country music, but there was one guy, I grew up in West Virginia, you know, I always loved that country, you know, and of course there is, there, there's a whole black audience for country music, which is a whole separate conversation, but I happen to have read Pam Foster's My Country Too, the other black music. I, I, I've read the scholarship, I've written about Cowboy Troy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Cowboy um, Troy. Yeah, I know Cowboy <laughs> Troy. Yeah, I, yes, we could go to Cowboy Troy if you want. But I'd like to ask you, dive in real sure. quick if that's okay. So being a full-time Please, yeah. musician and been doing this yeah. for 20 years, I'm really, really interested in the nuts and bolts of that time period as I think okay. about it. So like, how many days a week were you doing this? You know, I, people have asked that, and I, it's hard to know. I certainly wasn't five days a week. It might have been three days a week. I mean, I was working crap jobs. I was teaching. Uh, I was teaching harmonica, believe it or not. I, 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 I got into that pretty quick. Um, I, you know, I started playing, by the way, when I was 16 and guitar at the same time, blues, all blues. Um, but, and, and I played jazz, funk, blues, guitar in college. But I didn't really play harp in a serious... I mean, I, play, I cared about it. But I, it wasn't until I had uh, my teacher came along, which is a whole separate conversation in 85, that I got back into it in a deep way. But in terms of playing, and, you know, and how much did we make? I mean, on a given day, we, if I played three one-hour sets, and we'd go long. He didn't play the little 20-minute street sets and take a break. He would just play. And we might play, we might play from one to five, that kind of thing on the street. He would play in the morning, and then when I came, he'd clean out the tip bucket, and then we'd start again. Um, maybe... Three three days a week, you know, not in every kind of weather, but I will say we played all 12 months, which is to say it might get really cold. <laughs> we, there were a few times when we'd sweep the snow dusting off the sidewalk. I mean, like we, we, we did not, it wasn't just a summer thing at all, but some of my nicest memories were playing with him. Imagine playing on the Harlem, streets of Harlem in the, in the summer and everybody's walking by and the, the guy is pulling a, a, a wagon with uh, it's like the iced tea man or the, the, the lemonade man and it, you're just everything's sweaty and everybody is getting into the music we had bigger crowds on the weekend I mean it was a an amazing experience people 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 every day I got a smile on my face I'm so glad to see you come on Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for new podcasts about life and times and the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday. If not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places, podcasts are available. Again, please support this week's sponsors, 45th Parallel Distillery, ID Chrysler, Pine City, and the B-Dale Club. This is also a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Sterry Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on this show, please head on over to your local record store 
or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. <laughs>